Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of October 4th, 2022. That's right, 10-4, good buddy. And this is officially episode number 530. And this is your host, as always, Dr. Brian D. Parsons. And we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at ParanormalKing.com. And welcome to everybody who is listening live in the chat room. And if you're not live in the chat room... Well, hopefully you're not dead in the chat room. That would be really, really bad for ratings. Uh, but if you're looking for the links to listen live, you're sitting at home. Maybe you're driving down the freeway. We'll pull over if you're doing that uh, before you look at your phone. And you can go to paranormalking.com. Uh, you can also go to paranewsinsider.com, the home of the Paranormal News Insider. And you can look on the right-hand side there. Pretty much every page, I've got a link to the listen live page in the chat room for this but of course if you're listening to this show uh, you're probably already there or you're listening to this as a podcast so maybe i'm telling you for the future for future reference uh, but either way you don't have to well, i just like to uh, share some photographs and and uh, add a different dimension to just your run-of-the-mill podcast and i the last thing i want to be is a run-of-the-mill podcast I'm pretty much one of the few. I don't know if there's any left. There's There used to be a few people. And, you know, you know you've made it when other people are copying what you do. And uh, there was a few shows that were doing paranormal news uh, there for a while. Whether or not that, I don't know. Maybe they'd never heard of me, but that's okay. I, I just take it as that. Uh, but I don't just read headlines and then uh, debate about a story and go back and forth. Uh, I bring the story, and we talk about it, and I'll break it down. I'll do research. I'll look into this. If I have to email or call somebody that's involved in the story, I'll do it. Of course, uh, I've uh, been doing this show since 2008. So if uh, – let me take my shoe off here. That's 14 years. It's quite a long time that I've been disseminating the news of the paranormal. And, of course, we talk about everything here on the show, not just ghosts. Uh, which uh, is where I started out almost 25, well, actually more than 25 years now uh, as a ghost investigator, ghost researcher back in the days when uh, going into cemeteries was okay. It was fine. Uh, don't do that nowadays. Uh, did a lot of paranormal research back then uh, beyond just ghosts, but also psi phenomena and understanding how we connect with ghosts and, and what are the popular hypotheses of all of that stuff and through the times I've gotten involved in cryptozoology and ufology and just everything. And uh, it's not about me. It's not about my paranormal group that I had for 15 years. Uh, I've worked with a lot of other groups such as MUFON, uh, the Cleveland Ufology Project, which is one of the oldest UFO organizations, been around since the 1950s here in the Cleveland, Ohio area. Little shout out to my friends down there in Cleveland. Um, also, 
Paranexus Anomalous Research Association, where I learned a lot from a lot of other people on how to look at photographs, listen to video, uh, audio, and uh, or look at video, suppose. Well, you can listen to video as well, but uh, disseminating all that information, how to dig in, how to find different things. Uh, a lot of things that come in handy for this show when you're looking at this paranormal news. And uh, obviously, I have a stake in this. It's the paranormal news insider. It's not the skeptical news insider. Uh, I may come across skeptical. Uh, it's kind of This is rant is uh, due to a couple of emails I received in the last couple of weeks. But unfortunately, you have to be skeptical because... Uh, it's very, very easy to be a believer and believe every story that comes out. Yes, that's the dog man. Yes, that's uh, uh, that's uh, the Loch Ness monster. Yes, that's genuinely a UFO from Neptune or wherever they're from. Wherever they're from, Mars still? I don't know. Is that too outdated? Um, but it's also easy to be completely dismissive. A hardcore skeptic just says, eh, they don't exist, so therefore that story is wrong. It has to be explainable. Those are two easy ends. Uh, but what I call each one of those extremes is the wavering ends of denial. And so uh, therefore I paddle right down the middle. And uh, again, I let the story speak for itself. I, I let the, the data speak for itself. I let the information gathered from these stories do the talking. It's not me. I'm just disseminating. I'm just giving you the information based on what's here. And uh, the data, the information that takes us where we need to go and wherever that may be. If it's uh, saying that that story is uh, not real or this animal is not what people think, well, that's just the way it is. It's not up to me to decide. It's It's the information gathered from these stories. So don't think I'm just dismissing or I'm a skeptic in hiding, I'll admit I'm skeptical. And uh, the longer you're in the paranormal field, the more skeptical you'll become. That's just natural. It's normal. It's a progression uh, for a lot of people to jump in to the, uh, the paranormal. Usually in the ghost field, they believe everything. Everything is a ghost. Oh, look at that. It's an orb. It's a ghost. It's uh, Aunt Martha or whoever. And over time, you do become a little skeptical because of the activities of other people or what you see on television. And then you yourself become skeptical of what you're doing. It's just natural, normal, hopefully. I mean, if you see people like, oh, I don't know, Zach Bagans, for example, after 15 years on TV doing the same tired routine, uh, jumping and screaming and believing, obviously, he's doing that for money. He gets paid to do that. It's television. It's entertainment. He has a museum. Uh, the museum isn't free. You've got to pay to get in. And no one's got to pay to get in if everything he has in there is, is not really haunted. It's not how it works. You know, so he has an investment. And once that in investment, uh, if you have a personal investment where a lot of groups have a lot of money for tools and technology, of course, then they want to believe. But after a while, it, it kind of wears out when you realize that things aren't the way they are. So it's a natural progression. That's where I'm at. But uh, I'm not, not overly skeptical because I've seen things that I can't explain. And we've had stories on here that really defied explanation. And that's what we hope for. We hope for the stories really that are... 
life-changing. Stories are going to validate that maybe the Loch Ness Monster is real. And that maybe there is alien life amongst us. We hope that we can talk about that. But it's been going on, it's going on 15 years, and so we haven't yet got there. So hopefully, together, we can get there. Um, yeah, cryptozoology. I kind of learned cryptozoology on my own. I did work with a group out of um, uh, British Columbia. Uh, gosh, trying to remember who they were called. They, I, I didn't want to get involved with a, a Bigfoot group or Sasquatch group because there's more to cryptozoology than just Bigfoot. Uh, but here in Ohio, it seems like all the groups investigate Bigfoot. That's it. I don't care about anything else. Um, uh, Sasquatch Research Initiative was the group uh, that I got involved with and actually was uh, helped along by uh, Pennsylvania researcher Eric Altman, good friend of mine, colleague, call him, well, both, I guess. Um, little did I know at the time. And then I met him and talked to him, and he's like, yeah, dude, I laid that foundation for that team. So learned a lot from them. So I guess I learned a lot from Eric Altman and a lot from other people. So it's not, again, it's not about me. I've learned a lot from other people, other groups. And now I'm trying to uh, be that teacher, I guess, and pass along my knowledge and dissemination techniques little by little, story by story, week by week. And, of course, uh, 530th episode, I believe. Let me peek over here real quick. I think last week I was thinking about, I was looking at these numbers. Pretty sure tonight is, yes, it is. Tonight is actually the 300th one-hour live show. So I've done uh, 23 monthly segments back on the, uh, when it first started out, way back, way, way back in 2008. Some of you weren't even born yet. I hope I have young fans, impressionable youth. Uh, September of 2008 started on the Grand Dark Conspiracy. This was a pre-recorded, like, five-minute segment. And then uh, after 23 months, we went to a weekly format for 207 weeks. Well, at least I did 207 shows. It's probably a lot longer than that. We missed a few here and there, but on the pre-recorded days, it was fun. But nothing beats live radio. Uh, I just love it. Uh, I do miss the pre-recorded stuff because you could do sound effects and have music and all that. But uh, in this day and age, uh, YouTube and Facebook would never allow me to do that. So on we go. And I, I do enjoy the live thing. And I hope you enjoy the live thing and the uh, podcast thing, the recorded thing, I guess. Uh, so live radio and podcast all in one. Cute little green package here known as the Paranormal News Insider. So you didn't come here for all that. You came here for the news, of course. And I'm here to give it to you. And we're going all over the place tonight. We're going to be, it looks like a lot of news from England. I don't know what it is. So it's early for you guys out there. No, it's late for you guys. I'm sorry, wrong way. I'm looking the wrong direction. Let me look east. Oh, I see you guys. It's dark over there. Really dark. It's like midnight. Staying up late. That's great. So we're going to start as we always start in cryptid news. And 
starting off with a uh, a familiar tone, a familiar story that we've talked about uh, off and on this year, the last few years. It's become popular of a paranormal story, not just here on this show, but throughout paranormal news. And that's about alligators and crocodiles being found well outside their normal range in the Northeast or Midwest, the United States. We had one a few weeks ago. I believe it was Wisconsin. There was a sighting. Uh, no further sightings were reported. Uh, we've talked about them years past in Chicago. There's usually a lot of them in uh, Lake Michigan. For some reason, people let them go in either the rivers or the lake itself. And there's been a few sightings here in Ohio. There was a huge crocodile sighting a few years back in a uh, lake where children were playing. Or, I'm sorry, a, a little creek where children were playing. Uh, nobody was injured. And, of course, these are generally, well, they're obviously all pets that people uh, bought or smuggled. Smuggled is a cool word. Uh, but they're probably just bought in pet shops illegal or legal and released into the wild which is uh, a, like I said it's a death sentence for these animals and it could be potentially dangerous if these animals get big but this particular story is not from the Midwest the United States um, and every now and again we do hear one about somewhere else in the world where a sighting has occurred where these creatures should not exist. And this week, I mentioned it. Yes, we're going to England. And this one is out of northern England, where Sarah Craven claims to have filmed not one, but two crocodiles swimming in the North Sea. Uh, that might be hard to believe since, uh, gosh, it's, you know, it's October 4th. Uh, it's cold up there in the North Sea. I've never been in it, but I can tell you just by looking at pictures, I could tell it's cold. Well, that's not true. I could just tell you because of the location that far north, that's got to be some cold, cold water. Um, and crocodiles don't really do too well in cold water. Now, they can swim in salt water. Uh, some of them, not all of them. Uh, alligators, eh, they don't do so well in salt water. Not too long. Uh, they don't do very well in cold water either. So, what did Sarah Craven see? Uh, she uh, actually has a video of her purported sighting. And the video shows two strange objects in the water at the Blue Dolphin Caravan Park. And I'll admit, uh, I watched it and I try to watch it without my skepticals on. And I just watched it. I was like, yeah, okay. I can see how that might look like crocodiles. Okay. What are these creatures swimming through the water? And then, of course, I watched it a few more times, and we'll get into that at the end of the story. Uh, so Craven was camping in the area at the Blue Dolphin Caravan Park with her family. And she stated of the encounter, she said, quote, we took the boys up for a walk on the clifftop when we saw some dolphins jumping in the background. Suddenly, my son shouted, crocodiles. We all looked down, and there in front of me were what I thought were two large crocodiles. Unquote. 
Uh, Sarah claimed that she could, quote, see the crocodile's front and back legs swimming with their long, pointy tails swishing behind them. And they had skin that looked bumpy like crocodile or alligator skin, unquote. And um, I don't know. Like I said, I, I watched the video. Um, and, uh, you know, I, admittedly at first, it, it did look like something or two things swimming through the water. And uh, I don't know. So if you watch the video, it's, it's, uh, uh, well, of course, you can't really tell uh, looking at this picture. You can't really tell if it's um, alligators or crocodiles. But I guess you tell the difference. Uh, it's pretty easy when you look at uh, crocodiles or alligators. You could tell the difference. Yes, of course, you could tell the difference if one's going to see you after a while or a little later. But uh, crocodiles have the skinnier snout, longer, skinnier snout. Alligators are more rounded. On the head. That's the easiest way to tell. Uh, of course, I don't recommend getting that close. So, so what did she see? And of course, uh, you know, anytime you see anything strange or out of the ordinary, uh, you, the first thing you should always do is uh, rush it to social media in, immediately because that's where all the experts are and they'll help you disseminate what you saw. They'll tell you exactly what you saw. Um, but it helps too, it also gets the stories. Out into the media, people are fighting for the rights uh, to get some money for these stories. Um, and the Internet experts chimed in right away, and many supported the idea of these being crocodiles. I mean, again, you watch it, it does look like creatures are swimming through the water um, or some other strange animal. However, after my – admittedly, I took three times to watch this, and I said, wait a minute. I don't think those things are moving. I think it's just the water. I think it's just the – it's like an illusion of what I'm looking at here uh, because, you know, we're told what we're seeing, right? Uh, it's kind of like watching – oh, let me go back and beat him up again. Ghost Adventures, and you see a little uh, quote on the screen, and it says – this EVP clip says, get out of the room, Jamie. I'm putting my underwear on. And you're like, whoa. And the clip comes on and it's like, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. and you're like, whoa, that said, get out of here, Jamie, and put my underwear on. That's exactly what it said. Whoa. But yeah, you're prompted. You're told what is being said. And if you were to not look at that and then they play the sound, you're like, that sounds like somebody um, spitting their gum out in the trash or shuffling their feet across the, the carpet. It doesn't sound like anybody's saying any words. Sounds like somebody's got their uh, digital recorder in their hand and they're setting it down or they're moving it or they're, um, they got their hand in their pocket or something. Sure, it doesn't sound like a voice, but you're prompted. And that's exactly what happened here in this case with Sarah Craven. Her son shouted out, look, mom, crocodile. And she started filming it in a panic because, wow, these things are swimming through the water. And, you know, when you got waves coming in, you got water coming in on, on the beach, uh, water going out, uh, sometimes it could give the appearance of things moving. And if you're not familiar with the area, 
You don't know that there's rocks there. Maybe they were there a few hours before that. And now the tide's going out, so they didn't see these rocks. They weren't uh, visible because maybe they were under the water at the time. I'm just speculating at this point, but maybe she thought it was just water. And then all of a sudden, hey, that wasn't there before. Perhaps. Perhaps. Uh, but uh, experts have viewed the footage and also still images of the video images and c concluded that Sarah saw was uh, actually semi-submerged rocks with waves creating the illusion of movement. And that's pretty much what you're seeing. I mean, it's scary to think that you're seeing alligators, but uh, I mean, how long did you watch this and not realize that they weren't moving along? Well, of course, when you got kids, you're not going to stand there for five or 10 minutes and watch these things. So eh, I kind of get it, but uh, not a water monster in this case. But uh, another monster, of course, our favorite one here on the show. Everybody loves it so much. The Loch Ness Monster. Well, no sightings. No signs. But a pretty quiet year for the Loch Ness Monster so far here in 2022. But exciting news out of the United Kingdom. Uh, they might have, might have found something a little bit more interesting. Or at least some interesting competition in my thoughts. And this is an interesting story uh, because of the data gathered, or you could say evidence gathered in this case. Uh, Jamie Houghton, a 50-year-old insurance broker from Derbyshire, England, was on holiday back in June of this year. Yeah, holiday. I guess they don't get vacations in the UK. They just get holidays. I like my vacations. Well, of course, now they just we just call it PTO here. Um, when he not only spotted, but took several pictures of an unknown creature swimming in a lock, but uh, not Loch Ness, uh, a different lock. Uh, the man was bird watching when he noticed some commotion on the surface of Long Lock. Long Lock, uh, which is, um, it's in Scotland. It's west of uh, Glasgow, so it's well uh, south uh, southwest of Loch Ness. Uh, what's really interesting about this story, this is why it jumped out to me, uh, is the fact that he was able to reel off a pair of pretty decent photographs. Now, he says that uh, the images that he provided were uh, cropped and zoomed, uh, but they don't look that bad. They don't look blurry, out of focus. Um, what you typically see from Loch Ness Monster sightings, which, you know, I've always said, I think they're blurry on purpose. I think they're out of focus on purpose, just like Bigfoot pictures. Um, you know, Bigfoot, a lot of people think it's an interdimensional creature because it's always blurry in the picture. And that, well, that and the fact that uh, footsteps seem to disappear. Of course, if you've ever followed any animal through the woods, sometimes, yeah, you hit that brick wall where those footprints just disappear because landscape changes. But anyway, won't go down that path. But I just find it interesting that, uh, you know, we have all these Loch Ness Monster sightings and hardly any of them have uh, decent images. And, of course, everybody goes there 
on holiday or vacation or PTO, whatever you got, whatever you, whatever you can do, man, go take it. Enjoy your time off. Get that work-life balance going, baby. Spend some time with yourself or you're with your family, whatever. Get out there, smell the fresh air. That Scottish countryside. Have some haggis while you're up there, too. I highly recommend it. Don't ask what it is. Just eat it. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, but he got some pretty good pictures. Now, of course, he was uh, bird watching, but everybody that goes to Loch Ness is sightseeing, right? Everyone's a tourist. Nobody lives there. Everybody's a tourist around Loch Ness. I don't, I don't think anybody actually lives in that whole entire part of Scotland. Of course, maybe 20 people do. Of course, all the hotel owners probably are. Um, of this encounter, uh, Jamie says, he says, I hate when I do that. He says, he says, uh, quote, it was difficult to say what size it was uh, as it was some distance away. Uh, sort of close to the middle of the lock. Uh, the pictures I took are zoomed in and cropped heavily on just a basic camera. Uh, when it first came up, I'd say it was much larger, much longer and slender than any seal I've seen. I'm convinced it wasn't a seal as it just seemed too slender and too long. Uh, it came up again, but not as high the second time. And this was the time that I had my camera ready. I'd say it was visible for no more than a minute in total. Then it submerged, not to be seen again. We hung around for an hour or so, hoping for further sightings, but it never surfaced again, unquote. Uh, so I do have a few uh, photographs I'll share in the chat room. So again, if you get the chance, if you have the ability, I highly recommend being in the chat room. Uh, it adds that extra dimension to your experience here on the show. It's not just my voice. It's not just me comforting you and talking to you softly. Uh, it's also pictures that I'd like to share. And uh, there's one image there. So ah, it's hard to tell what that is, but at least it's not blurry. Something splashing in the water. It's obviously some fish-like creature, but you, you don't know. doesn't look like a plesiosaur, I don't think. Uh, here's the second picture. But uh, the first one looks like just like a, uh, uh, just something splashing. Could be a fish. I've seen that a million times. Second one uh, looks like maybe a fish or maybe a seal or something uh, playing with, uh, looks like seaweed. And, of course, there is a cropped image of that as well. It's been making the rounds on all the media that I'll post in there. So you can get a little closer look at it. And it doesn't really provide much more detail. But when you look at the skin of that creature, it definitely looks fish-like or, to me, a very seal-like and, of course, he says, well, it's too this and it's too can't be a seal. And anytime I ever hear anybody say, uh, as a witness to, uh, especially a cryptid, uh, when they say it can't be something, uh, usually the experts are like, well, actually, it could be. And, and it's more than likely that thing that you said it couldn't be. Uh, we've seen that a lot. And if I had to uh, make a guess, uh, I would say seal based on that skin color uh, now, that could be a fish, uh, but I don't know if that's fish behavior to do what uh, he described. 
not that fish are, you know, have that easily kind of repeatable behavior, but sometimes, you know, usually a fish jumps out of the water and that's it. Uh, he's done or she's done. It's done. They're done. Whatever, whoever, whatever. Um, at the local or at the time, a local told Jamie that um, he thought it was a porpoise in the water, uh, maybe playing with food or coming up for air. But um, ah, it doesn't look like that to me. It doesn't look uh, it doesn't look smooth like a porpoise would be. Uh, it doesn't have the coloration of porpoise in that area. Uh, internet experts, of course, we always turn to them in times of need, times of questions, and time of uh, pictures that we can't really identify because they just have this amazing software, uh, 3D software. Apparently, they can uh, peek in, they can go back in time and, and see what we can't see. I guess uh, I don't know. Speculating, uh, they've chimed in, stating that it could be again also a porpoise, a seal, a turtle, or a fish. Um, I'm sure some people thought it might be the Loch Ness Monster, which is uh, the, kind of the going joke. And that's what gained this story some traction, is that uh, people are joking that not only is Jamie on holiday, but maybe oh, the Loch Ness Monster is on holiday. Like, I've never heard that one before. Yeah, we hear that like 20 times a year, that the Loch Ness Monster has left Loch Ness. It is now on holiday somewhere else in one of the other 90 bodies of water, bigger than a bathtub. Well, it'll probably be more than 90 uh, up there in England, or Scotland, for that matter. Uh, but yes, that's a pretty decent list of potential creatures. And again, to me, the coloration, uh, the size, the shape, looks like a harbor seal to me. Uh, it could be a skinnier one, but that time of the year in September, which is when he saw, is uh, the breeding time. This could be a seal, could be a, what do they call it, a pup? They're pups, not puppies, pups. Uh, that would explain why it's a little skinnier, a little longer, a little thinner. I've seen uh, plenty of seals in trips to uh, Maine and Washington and Alaska. Um, yeah, it looks like a seal to me. And uh, I've seen some skinny seals chasing uh, fish. Uh, octopus, different things through shallower waters. And uh, they like to play with their food. So th that seems to me like the behavior of a seal. Um, but, you know, looking at that, you know, the, one of the biggest arguments about Loch Ness and it being a plesiosaur is the fact that Loch Ness uh, gets pretty narrow. And there's actually, I'm pretty sure there's a dam there. And then it goes to the uh, the Ness River, which then empties out into the ocean. So it's a very, it gets pretty thin and shallow. Not like a, a, a creek or uh, anything like that, but it's, it's a small river. It's not very big compared to the long, thin Loch Ness. It looks like a, a giant, it looks like the Mississippi River with, with taller banks whenever I see it. But it's just really a long, thin lake, uh, as is Loch Long. Uh, but the difference is that Loch Long empties right into the open ocean, and it's salt water. It's not fresh water. So, of course, uh, you're going to see creatures like porpoise and uh, harbor seals in the area, especially in September. 
breeding season. Uh, they're all in the air, especially on that coast. So the west coast of England is where you're going to see uh, Scotland, UK. You're going to see these seals. Uh, they're very, very, I don't say rare, but you're not really going to see too many of them uh, on the eastern portion of the UK. Um, and probably not many of them in Loch Ness because it's fresh water. And fresh water doesn't taste so good. And they don't need to fish, usually, that are there. So seals really have no need to be in Loch Ness. But uh, this, to me, I mean, hats off that he took some really good pictures uh, for the time that he had. And, of course, he says that uh, it was higher out of the water at the time. But, uh, you know, it's pretty difficult to get a picture of a, of a moment like that. And that's why... You know, I hear skeptical people talk about, well, you know, the thing was right there. Why didn't you, everyone's got a camera with them? Why didn't you take a picture of it? That's, you know, one of the biggest arguments. But uh, I, I laugh. I, I remember I've had more than one instance where uh, an animal ran out in front of me, be it a deer or uh, even a rabbit. Uh, I had a snake once that I froze and never thought, you know, my phone is right there. I could just take a picture of it, and you just. Sometimes you just get caught up in the moment, but hats off to him for getting a couple of really good snaps of this lake monster. And speaking of lake monsters, I'm kind of a little jealous about all this. We always talk about Loch Ness and now Loch Long about sea creatures over there in the United Kingdom. We, well, we got a few over here in North America and, you know. Be a few famous ones here in the United States. A couple states over from me, I suppose, here. And cryptozoologist Katie Elizabeth recently shared some interesting evidence she has gathered in search of the water monster of Lake Champlain. I think that should be his name, or her name, or its name, their name, whatever. Uh, but it's known as Champ. It's a pretty good... Pretty good short name, and you could put it on a T-shirt and a, a Frisbee or a baseball team, which they do have. I think he's the uh, he's the uh, mascot of the team, Champ. Um, Lake Champlain. Well, I was going to say it's in Vermont, but it is in Vermont. Uh, but I guess uh, New York State tries to take credit for this uh there's kind of a like a battle between vermont and new york uh but it also goes up into quebec so thank you canada for you guys got your own stuff up there got your own monsters over in british columbia generally but uh we claim it champ is ours he doesn't cross the border doesn't have a passport or a visa uh champ in case you haven't heard of champ Look it up. It's had a following since the 1800s, and even P.T. Barnum, I think more than once, I think twice, put up a, a reward for anyone who could find and bring him the monster, dead or alive, warm or cold. Um, in 1977, Sandra Mancy took the uh, very famous photograph uh, while on vacation, of, of what appeared to be a long neck 
and head. Uh, most people see it as a dinosaur. The old brontosaurus. Uh, the head kind of curved away from the from uh, the viewer and uh, a body sticking up out of the water. I do have a picture that I'll share with you in case to jog your memory. And as soon as you see it, you go, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. And this is the wide-angle view. I'll give you the good picture, not the cropped picture. This is my favorite. I like that one. That's pretty good. Now, a lot of experts say that this was just a submerged log. Now, I've seen a lot of logs in uh, water. I've kayaked and gosh, I couldn't be like 30 different reservoirs and rivers uh, here in Ohio and in, in, uh, Pennsylvania. I think that's it. Yeah, just those two. I guess, man, yeah, maybe just those two states. Anyway, but a lot of bodies of water I've been. I've seen a lot of submerged logs. Uh, they don't generally stick that high up that shape of water or shape of water, shape of object. But, you know, sometimes they stick up and you're not sure what you see until you get up closer to them. Uh, so we'll never know. We don't know. That could easily be a submerged log just moving with the current. Maybe it uh, tipped over and fell in the water. She couldn't see it anymore. It's possible. Uh, maybe just hopeful thinking. Who knows? Uh, but it sure is an interesting photograph, and it's one of those that's so ambiguous, uh, you could debate it all day, and no one's ever going to win. Um, but a big following for this creature, uh, even before that, but in 77, that uh, Sandra Mancy photograph, uh, while on vacation of this creature, has really kept this uh, as a creature that people are still searching for, and there's been a lot of uh, purported sightings, basically of a plesiosaur-type creature with a long neck on uh, the long fins and stuff. And, and there's been uh, plenty of TV shows filmed out there on Lake Champlain. Uh, they purportedly heard, I remember a few years ago, uh, underwater sounds that they thought were uh, very similar to beluga whales. But I don't think anything ever came from that. Um but now Katie Elizabeth has come forward with some new data, some new uh, findings in the form of sonar readings. And we talk about that every now and again about the uh, Loch Ness Monster, these uh, cruise ships, I guess, lack of a better term, because uh, some of them hold quite a few people. Uh, these um, uh, tourist boats you know, with maybe a, a few dozen people down to maybe... 10 or 15 people, uh, they have these uh, live sonars and people will occasionally take a, a picture and uh, get, you know, their 20 bucks from the, the uh, Star or uh, some other online newspaper from the UK and make a little cash, but uh, also get these stories out and show us potential evidence of the Loch Ness Monster. But now we have some sonar readings from a board Katie Elizabeth's boat, the Kelpie 2, which is outfitted with some uh, so good sonar equipment. Uh, and her search, which is known as Champ Search, it's her, her business name, uh, looking for evidence of Champ. Uh, the sonar readings indicate an object moving at uh, about 42 and a half feet underwater. Well, that's pretty deep. I didn't realize uh, Champlain was that deep. But, yeah, it's uh, carved from the, the glaciers. So really and truly 
uh, Champlain isn't, it's probably less than the, the Great Lakes, which are about uh, 100,000 years old. And it's probably made about the same time, I would suppose. Uh, this object is not only 42 and a half feet deep, it's also estimated to be about 20 feet long. And if you go to her YouTube channel, the Champ Search YouTube channel, you can watch a, a video and she kind of explains her finding and she uh, kind of shares um, how she gathered it and how she feels that it is Champ. So check that out. Uh, it's always interesting to to see new evidence and new information gathered by researchers on these kind of creatures. And then who who knows? Maybe um, these sightings will add up to something very important. And speaking of sightings adding up tonight, we're going to talk about the September. MUFON sighting statistics, which uh, come out a couple of days ago. They're really on top of it tonight, or this, I should say, uh, this year. It seems like they're around pretty quick with their sighting statistics. Um, Katie Elizabeth, I'm not sure if she has audio on her uh, Kelpie 2. I'd have to do some research. Uh, I thought her and I were friends on Facebook. I would have messaged her messaged her but uh, apparently we're not friends I'm looking her up on facebook and geez we're not friends i don't know why uh, but i'll have to do some more research on her kelpie too i'm sure she's got uh, after that story came out i think it was just a few years ago about the um the underwater noises it's got to be noisy especially in the summertime with all the kids splashing and people fishing and the boats going uh, so I don't know how you'd disseminate anything. But if you're out there, I suppose, on a chilly fall afternoon, well, it was September, um, maybe you could hear some stuff underwater. But uh, I think it would be kind of hard on a, a big lake where people are it's – it's a pleasure lake. I think it's unlimited speed, so you're going to have jet skis and all that fun stuff um, zipping around. Not something I would kayak in. Although now I'm thinking – Maybe that would be a fun adventure next year. Let me put that on my list. Kayak Lake Champlain. Okay, not Champagne, Champlain. There we go. Okay, good. I'll put that on my list. Uh, back to move on. The exciting statistics for September 2022. Kind of looking forward to this since last month uh, because in August, we saw 934 total sightings with 744 sightings reported in the United States. And that doesn't sound that great, and it's not really that great, but it's pretty good compared to the last couple of years. And in fact, it's the highest totals we have seen since uh, March and April of 2022. Actually, April was uh, over 1,000 total sightings back in 2020. I say 2022, I meant 2020. Uh, so how did MUFON's numbers add up the, for the last month of the summer? Did we see an increase? Did we, did we stay the same or did it dip back to the low numbers we've been seeing the last uh, this year and last year? It's really not been very, very good at all. 
looking at these numbers, uh, MUFON turned in 786 total sightings. So, yeah, kind of a, a dip. Uh, kind of, I don't know if I expected that big of a, a drop off, but yeah, it's it's that time of the year, I suppose. And uh, the U.S. sightings dropped all the way down to 660, but still, even though it's a pretty big drop off, it's still the second highest total this year, obviously since last month, and um, so far, and the second highest totals in the last two years. Again, since that spike in reports back in March and April of 2020 with, uh, let's see, 883 and 1,026 sightings, respectively. And we can take a look at the breakdown of these sightings as we like to do. Uh, The United States, again, had 660 sightings of the total 786. The United Kingdom... And Canada, we're tied. I don't think I've ever seen this. 33 sightings apiece for both the United Kingdom and Canada. Usually, uh, lately, it's been the United Kingdom. Canada used to be second place all the time. Uh, And I think a lot of that has to do with the amount of investigators from MUFON in those areas, to be quite honest with you. Uh, France was in, well, third, I guess you could say, uh, or fourth. However you want to look at it. Uh, France was next. How about that? With 19. Uh, then we drop all the way down to six from Australia, uh, three from New Zealand, three from China. And Netherlands, Spain, and Mexico had uh, two reports each. And looks like we got like almost 20 other countries and... Uh, territories with just one report each. Uh, Lots of countries here looking at uh, Ireland, Jamaica, Argentina, Denmark, Austria, Greece, uh, the Bahamas, Venezuela, Israel, Vietnam, Sweden, Cyprus, Brazil, all over the place, all over the world uh, with uh, these individual sightings. And of course, United States, again, uh, the most sightings, and that's of course... Of course, of course, because MUFON is based here in the United States. So no surprise here. Uh, We've also got the most investigators for MUFON. So uh, more boots on the ground, more people talking about it, more uh, meetings. So, of course, more people using the website here in the United States to enter in their personal sightings. And all these statistics are based on sightings that were reported this month. So something happened In July of 1984, but it was reported in September. It's going to be here on this list. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that because, you know, when Hangar 1 came out, uh, was it 2016? Uh, The the sightings were way higher. There were like 1,200 sightings a month. Uh, I think it was was a slow month. There was a ton of sightings. Uh, I should say reports, but these weren't all current sightings. These were historical reports. Uh, So we're not really sure unless you dig in. If you're a MUFON member, you can dig into these sightings. I'm uh, no longer a MUFON member for my own personal reasons. Uh, But you can disseminate all the information. They were supposed to 
update their methodology of uh, report taking, but uh, that's been something they've been talking about for like 20 years now. And it uh, hasn't improved all that much. But anyway, 660 sightings breaks down with California leading the way with 63 sightings. And they should because they have the most population of any state. So that would kind of fall into line with that. Um, Missouri, which does not have the number two amount of population, is second with 50 sightings. That's something to look at. That's a very interesting number. Texas, 41. Uh, Florida with 36. Pennsylvania with 31. New York, 27. Uh, Washington State has 26. New Jersey, 23. Uh, Colorado and North Carolina both have 21 reports each. Michigan, 20. Uh, Kansas had 19. Ohio, had 16, Arizona and Indiana had 15 reports each. Oklahoma, Massachusetts, and Kentucky all had 13 reports. Uh, Virginia, Wisconsin, both had 12. Illinois, Minnesota, both had 11. Then we had Arkansas and Utah with 10. Georgia, Idaho, Maryland, Oregon, Connecticut, and New Mexico. All had nine. Uh, Then we had Tennessee with eight. Louisiana and Nevada with six. Uh, Also, New Hampshire and South Carolina and Alabama with six. Um, Then it drops off. You haven't heard your state. You had uh, four or less. Hawaii had four. That's uh, kind of a record right there. That's pretty high for Hawaii. I'd have to do some research on that one. Uh, Alaska had three. That's pretty big for Alaska and Hawaii to be four and three like that. Uh, Pretty interesting. Uh, Maine and Nebraska and Iowa, as well as Rhode Island, Mississippi, all had three. Uh, Montana, all 500 of you, uh, you had two. That's pretty high as far as population percentage or per capita. Uh, North Dakota, Vermont, Delaware, West Virginia, South Dakota, y'all also had, yeah, y'all had two. And Wyoming and the District of Columbia, which isn't a state. Sorry, guys. I know you're protesting for that. Uh, Wyoming and D.C. had one report. One report. It's pretty good, I would say. Um Yeah, they had, uh, let's see. Let's see, uh, Israel had one. Israel. Uh, yeah, that's about it from the Middle East. Um, where are we at here? There we are. So MUFON, yeah, it's dropping off again. And you know, I've been saying this for, for months. I don't understand why they don't, advertiser they don't do anything outside of their own aging circle well let's just face it that's it's uh it's an old bunch uh people that were doing this since the 80s and maybe early 90s from the the x-files crowd still hanging on to that old you know old time they're all wearing their flannel shirts from their nirvana days and 
you got to get some young, you got to get some youth involved in this. I'm not saying do a rap video or anything like that, but come on, move on. You, you've got to get with the times. You got to get some new blood. You got to get some advertising going. Talk about this. This is right now is the prime. Well, you kind of missed it. Last year was the prime time to really get people involved with UFOs and UAPs. But I don't see them doing it. Don't see them doing it. Yeah, I don't understand why they, they don't spend time and money and effort into advertising. It's, it's a business. And they rely on the people who are paying money on a year-to-year basis. Uh, but, uh, you know, when, you're, when your membership is aging, that number is going to get smaller uh, due to a number of factors. But, uh, yeah, you got to get new people involved. And there's probably a lot of younger investigators, but that's that's only part of the battle. you you got to get people who are having these experiences, having these sightings. you got to get them involved. you got to let them know you exist. Hangar 1 was a good start way back when, but uh, there's more to it than just TV shows. Um, you got to get out there. You got to, you got to cut some hay as they say. Is that what they say? I mean, no, there's no bad ideas. Visiting schools. I think that's a great idea. High schools, libraries. And, and I know a lot of them do library presentations, but they they seem so focused on their own meetings that they, you know, they're, it's all about us inside and not getting, not reaching out. And I know a lot of individual uh, investigators, state directors uh, do a lot of media things, which is very important. But I tell you, New Fork, which has like literally three people running that entire organization, uh, I read a lot more of their information and a lot more of stories related to New Fork, the National UFO Reporting Center, than I do about MUFON. Like, where's the PR team here? Uh, really, cut some hay. And speaking of cutting hay, that's my segue to uh, talk about some other news this week in the form of crop circles. Yes, I went that far. Uh, crop circles, we haven't really talked about it too much, but it's, uh, it's a pretty popular topic. It's kind of unknown. It's usually related to UFOs, but uh, not necessarily always related to UFOs. Uh, it's really, truly, when you look at the world of the paranormal, it's one of the newest sensations and uh, was rarely talked about until the 1980s, let's face it. Uh, stories of UFO nests or landing sites were mentioned in the United Kingdom, Australia, Canada, uh, with small circles, very small circles, about the size of what they felt the ship was, just a, a regular circle. And these things were happening on a, a pretty rare basis. Uh, but in the 1980s, really the, the late 1970s, in uh, early 1980s, the crop circle phenomena exploded like popcorn. Uh, it was then that the newly formed pursuit of information about these circles, these uh, experts in uh, investigating and researching crop circles, uh, known as crappies, but also known as cereologists. Yes, that's a real thing. Uh, I'm a cereologist because I like cereal. No, not really. Seriologists are people who study crop circles. 
uh, that pursuit was born, and that term uh, was created in the 1980s by a crop circle researcher, Colin Andrews. I got his, got his book somewhere up there. Uh, Circular Evidence. Get your hands on that. That's one of the first books on seriology about crop circles by Colin Andrews. Uh, throughout the 1980s, crop circle sightings created the uh, seriologist uh, following, and it became a, a huge sensation. It was all over TV. Uh, there were specials about this. Uh, there were magazines popping up about this. Uh, all the paranormal magazines were talking about crop circles and crappies. They were famous. Uh, they were sexy before ghost investigators. These these were poster people. Uh, you'd rip their uh, bifold out of these crop circle or these paranormal magazines and stick them on your wall and wish that one day you could be as cool as these guys. Uh, well before the, the ghost hunters or ghost people were famous in the uh, mid to late 1990s, we all became rock stars uh, after they did. Um. And, of course, as the 1980s wore on, crop circle sightings got bigger and bigger. That all kind of came crashing down in the early 1990s. In 1991, two men, Doug Bauer and Dave Chorley, produced a crop circle using ropes and wooden planks in front of journalists. Uh, the journalists then had uh, crop circle experts, the seriologists, including Pat Delgado, examine the circle. Uh, and then Pat Delgado and some other researchers claimed that this was a genuine circle created by unknown forces, possibly, yes, dem aliens. Uh, shortly after this incident uh, pretty much being exposed, Delgado and many others quit the field and moved on. Uh, one would think this would have been the end of the crop circle phenomena, uh, even though uh, many doubted that the two alone had created dozens of circles over a dozen years. However, uh, the astonishing admission actually inspired a lot of other people to create crop circles that have since uh, helped develop new methods of creating more elaborate crop circles uh, in the same amount of time. And if you look back at the 80s, the early crop circles, they were really, really basic compared to stuff that's being made nowadays. Of course, uh, we have GPS now. We've got drones helping out. Uh, all sorts of new technology that is assisting in the creation of crop circle making. Because it's not them aliens. It's uh, them people with boards and planks or whatever else they're using now. Probably skateboards and nylon rope. I don't know. Uh, the article uh, that I'm looking at here mentions um, – it's on Boing 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 that um, – it's creating a lot of problems for farmers all over the world. And uh, despite ongoing claims of alien involvement, it's, it's quite well known that humans are behind, let's face it, nearly every single crop circle created. Uh, and again, it's creating a lot of problems for farmers all around the world. According to a recent article on Boing Boing, flattening the grain doesn't always damage the crop. Sometimes it's just bent over, but it makes it very difficult for the mechanical combines to harvest it. The article also mentions that more than half of the crop circles created in the United Kingdom since 2018 have been found in southwest England in the county of Wiltshire, which is home to Stonehenge. And according to The Guardian, 
Farmers have lost more than 30,000 British pounds in income between 2018 and 2022 due to 92 different crop circles of various sizes. And that's only about $34,000. May not sound like a large amount of money, but uh, try losing that out of your bank account. That's a lot of money. And uh, the Guardian states that this equates to the loss of wheat and barley, the equivalent of 300,000 lost loaves of bread. And uh, flattened rapeseed could have produced 600 liters of canola oil. And using my toe math, uh, that uh, calcul- my calculations come out to about 422, 48 fluid ounces containers of canola oil. Well, actually, I used to Google for that. Um, so it's it's you know these people make them, and of course they get popular uh, locally. And then you know, the farmers aren't advertising for this stuff. And, you know, we're in a global food crisis. Let's face it. Grain prices have gotten uh, much higher, especially since uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. Then, of course, you have people that are coming to the site to uh, to see these. And they're ruining, actually ruining the crop at that point when they're walking on it. And, of course, the farmers have to spend more money trying to get the, the grain to be harvestable. Is that a word? Well, it is now. But a lot of people still think crop circles are created by Demalians who are trying to send us a message of peace and how to live better. But if they're destroying our food supply, maybe we should just not listen to their message at all. Um, So strong winds, that's been a hypothesis. And uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Downdrafts. You have, uh, I'm trying to think, there's another term for that in thunderstorms, uh, a microburst, I think is the term, where uh, wind will blow straight downward and flat, could flatten crop or bend it over like that, but it's not going to form those intricate patterns. But it is possible that strong wind can create small areas of, of depression in crops and also trees, for that matter. We've seen it with uh, knocking over trees, uh, blowing up houses barns and things uh so yeah microbursts are a real thing that could happen uh but uh in the united kingdom uh this is just all done for fun it's all done for fun uh kids people don't have much to do uh advertising uh you know it's funny that's becoming a cottage industry now of creating crop circles through advertising for money and they're paying farmers to flatten their crops Uh, For advertising, but uh, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the damage done. It's not funny anymore. Let it go. Um, But that's all I've got for you for this week. It's time for some uh, beauty rest. Going to jump on over and listen to the Mallard Report with Jim Mallard at Mallard.com. And I'll see you next week. But for now, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck. And always keep your mind slightly ajar. And above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting.